there once again, and welcome to episode 93 of Be Boomer Unleashed. Today's episode, The History of Presidential Elections, Part 2, A Look at the History of Political Parties. I'm Jerry Lake, the Unleashed Baby Boomer, and I'll be your host for today's episode and all the episodes of Be Boomer Unleashed. Before we get into today's episode, um, I want to remind you where you can always find us. You can find us at beboomerunleashed.podbean.com. You can find us on iTunes and Google Play at Be Boomer Unleashed, on iHeartRadio at be.boomerunleashed, on Facebook, Spotify, and Instagram. You can find our link at Be Boomer Unleashed. On Twitter, you can find our link at Be Boomer Unleashed 1. And as always, we encourage you to drop us an email at beboomerunleashed at gmail.com. Once again, that's beboomerunleashed at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of the podcast. Give us your criticisms, your uh, questions. And if you uh, would like, give us suggestions for future episodes. And if you would be interested in being a guest on the Be Boomer Unleashed podcast, why don't you let us know what you'd like to talk about, and we'll do our best to get you on the show. Well, today, episode 93, we're going to take a look at uh, political parties down through the years. Last week, we talked a little bit about the Electoral College, and uh, hopefully that was of some interest to some of you. Uh, Some of you could care less, and that's okay. Uh, I, uh, uh, you know, try my best to put topics out there that are interesting, but you're not going to interest everybody with every topic, and... But the election's a pretty important thing coming up here in just a few days now, so we need to uh, uh, learn how this thing takes place, what it's all about. So we want to talk today a little bit about the political parties in the United States and the history of that. Our electoral politics today, if you will, have been dominated by two major political parties since shortly after the founding of the Republic. Since the 1850s, they have been the Democrat Party and the Republican Party. That's the two major parties. They have been, as long as I've been alive, and it has been actually since the 1850s. Uh, Now, since the last major party realignment in the mid-20th century, the Democratic Party has been the center-left or liberal party, and the Republican Party has been considered to be the center-right or conservative party. However, that changed a bit in 2008 with the beginning of the Tea Party movement and the rise of Barack Obama during the 2008 United States presidential election. Both the Republicans and the Democratic parties have shifted further from the center, if you will. This two-party system is based on uh, laws, party rules, and custom, not specifically outlined in the U.S. Constitution. So the party system wasn't really um, set forth in the Constitution, if you will. And there have been several third parties who have operated in the U.S. from time to time to elect someone to local office. The largest third party, I guess, since uh, the 1980s has been the Libertarian Party. And um, they also have Constitution Party, the Green Party. Uh, But there are many other political parties that receive only minimal support, just little offshoot splinter parties. 
and only appear on the ballot in one or one or a few states, not really of national prominence. The need to win popular support in a republic led to the American invention of voter-based political parties way back in the 1790s. Americans were especially innovated in devising new campaign techniques. Boy, we're good at that. Have been for years. That linked public opinion with public policy through the party. Political scientists and historians have divided the development of America's two-party system into five eras. So there's five eras that uh, we look at for the political parties. The first two-party system considered the Federalist Party, which supported the ratification of the Constitution, and the Democratic-Republican Party, or the Anti-Administration Party, Anti-Federalists, which opposed powerful central government. So the Federalist Party, they wanted a powerful central government, and the Democratic-Republican Party didn't. Um... They didn't want that when the government that the Constitution established took effect in 1789. Party realignments have occurred uh, periodically in response to social and cultural movements. They change with the times. They change with with the political winds, so to speak. The modern two-party system that we basically have, and we still have a two-party system. Like I say, we have some third-party candidates from time to time. But the modern two-party system consists, consists, like we said, of the Democrat Party and the Republican Party. While these names have been in existence since before the Civil War, they've not always represented the same ideology of the electorate. Two parties have won every United States presidential election since 1852. So since 1852, it's either been a Democrat or Republican who's won this presidential election, which makes the election of a third-party candidate extremely, extremely unlikely. Uh, There have been several folks who've made third-party runs. You know, Ross Perot, a number of years ago, was a third-party candidate, created quite a bit of stir among uh, people around about these little charts and stuff, you know. But uh, Ross Perot, uh, was a, a third party, a viable third party candidate, it seemed at the time. But the presidential election has always been won since 1852 by a Democrat or Republican. Um, some political candidates, and many voters for that matter, choose not to identify with a particular political party. In some states, independents are not allowed to vote in primary elections. But in others, they can vote in any primary election of their choice, although the term independent often is used as a synonym for moderate, centrist, or swing voter to refer to a politician or voter who holds views that incorporate facets of both liberal and conservative ideologies Most self-described independents consistently support one of the two major parties when it comes time to vote. So they can be a third party, but when it gets down to it, they're probably going to support Democrats or the Republicans. They lean one way or the other. Our U.S. Constitution is basically silent 
on the subject of political parties. The founding fathers didn't originally intend for American politics to be partisan. In the Federalist Papers, number 9 and number 10, Alexander Hamilton and James Madison specifically wrote about the dangers of domestic political factions. In addition, our first president, George Washington, was not a member of any political party. At the time of his election or throughout his tenure as president, he remained not a member of any political party. Furthermore, he hoped that political parties wouldn't be formed. He really didn't want those to be formed, fearing conflict and stagnation as outlined in his farewell address. Well, we're here, aren't we, George? We're here. Nevertheless, the beginnings of the American two-party system emerged from his immediate circle of advisors. There was Hamilton, there was Madison, who wrote the Federalist Papers against political factions, ended up being core leaders in the emerging party system. Well, it was split camps of Federalists giving rise to, with Hamilton as a leader and Democratic Republicans with Madison and Thomas Jefferson at the helm. And uh, this created an environment in which partisanship came to being. Partisanship. You know what partisan politics is. If you're not a Democrat, you're not going to get the Democrats to go with you. If you're not a Republican, you're not going to get the Republicans to go along with you. It's partisan politics. Now, we basically look down through the years at basically three eras, if you will, of the party system. The first party system of the United States uh, featured the Federalist Party and the Democratic-Republican Party, also called Jeffersonian Republicans. The Federalist Party grew from the national network of Washington's Secretary of the Treasury, who was who? Alexander Hamilton. He favored a strong, united central government, close ties to Britain, a centralized banking system, and close links between the government and men of wealth. So Alexander Hamilton, I guess you'd call, was a globalist, he was a big government guy. He wanted the federal government to have all this control. He wanted to keep those close ties to Britain. And he wanted a centralized banking system. Um, and he also wanted to keep close links between the government and men of wealth, good old boys club, if you will. Well, the Democratic-Republican Party, founded by Madison and Thomas Jefferson, strongly opposed Hamilton's agenda. The Jeffersonians, who came to power in 1800, and the Federalists were too elitist to compete effectively. The Federalists survived in the Northeast, but their refusal to support the War of 1812 verged on succession and was a devastating blow when the war ended well. The era of good feelings under President James Monroe marked the end of the first party system in a brief period in which partisanship was minimal. Now, the second party system, which began about 1828 and continued through 1854, following the splintering of the Democratic-Republican Party, two major parties dominated the political lab landscape. That was the Whig Party, led by Henry Clay, that grew from the National Republican Party, and the Democratic Party, led by Andrew Jackson. The Democrats supported the primacy of the presidency over the other branches of the government. In other words, the executive branch was more should they felt it should be more powerful than the others. 
The Whigs, uh, on the other hand, advocated the primacy of Congress over the executive branch. They thought Congress should be more important and more powerful than the executive branch, as well as policies of modernization and economic protectionism. Central political battles of this era were the bank war and the spoil system of federal patronage, where the federal government basically was in business with big business. The 1850s saw the collapse of the Whig Party largely as a result of decline in its leadership and a major intra-party split over slavery as a result of the Kansas-Nebraska Act. Well, then, along comes 1854, and the third-party system took place through the uh, 1890s, 1854 through 1890. The third-party system stretched from 1854 to the mid-1890s and was characterized by the emergence of the anti-slavery Republican Party. Now, remember, it was the Republicans who wanted to get rid of slavery, not the Democrats, but the Republicans. They were the anti-slavery party. Now, today's modern-day Democrats would have you to believe that uh, the Republicans are the ones who have oppressed the blacks, the African-Americans, if you will, for all this time, but it was the Democratic Party that wanted to keep the blacks on the plantation. But uh, the Republicans, um, they uh, adopted a lot of the economic policies of the Whigs, such as national banks, railroads, high tariffs, homesteads, aid to land-grant colleges. The Democratic Party was in large part the opposition party during this period, although it often controlled the Senate or the House of Representatives or sometimes both. Civil War and Reconstruction issues polarized the parties until the Compromise of 1877, which ended the latter. Both parties became broad-based voting coalitions, and the race issue pulled newly enfranchised African Americans, freed men, into the Republican Party, while white Southerners, Redeemers, joined the Democratic Party. The Democratic coalition also had conservative, pro-business, bourbon Democrats, traditional Democrats in the North, many of them former copperheads, if you will, and Catholic immigrants, among others. The Republican coalition also consisted of businessmen, shop owners, skilled craftsmen, clerks, and professionals who were attracted to the party's modernization policies. So you look at who was a part of the Republican Party and who were the Democrats. Well, the Democrats, by and large, were in the South. They were those people who didn't want to let slavery die, but it did after the Civil War. And uh, they uh, were the, the Democratic Party, were... You know, some famous Democrats, Robert C. Byrd was, I guess, a wizard in the KKK, big senator from West Virginia, was a total racist. And you had uh, George Wallace, who ran for president. He was a a governor and uh, was a big segregationist, was a Democrat, totally opposed to integration. And these powerful Democrats... You know, they uh, 
they a lot of those folks came out of the South, and they came out of the, the mindset of uh, owning slaves. But it was the Republican Party and those folks who were the anti-slavery party. And uh, the Democrats uh, gave rise to all kinds of civil unrest and have used the, the African-American population to their political advantage for hundreds of years. And they continue to try to do that today. So that was the third-party system. Then in 1896 to about 1932, we have what we call the fourth-party system. And it consisted of the same interest groups as the third-party system, but saw major shifts in the central issues. The period also corresponded to the progressive era and was dominated by the Republican Party. It began after the Republicans blamed the Democrats for the Panic of 1893, which later resulted in William McKinley's victory over William Jennings Bryan in the 1896 presidential election. The central domestic issues changed to government regulation of railroads and large corporations of trust, the protective tariff, the role of labor unions, child labor, the need for a new banking system, corruption in party politics, primary elections, direct election of senators, racial segregation, efficiency in government, women's suffrage, and control of immigration. Most voting blocs continued unchanged, but there was some realignment that took place giving Republicans dominance in the industrial Northeast and new strength in the border states. Historians have long debated why no labor party emerged in the United States in contrast to Western Europe. Remember the later labor party over in Western Europe? Uh, So new strength to the border states. Historians have long debated why no labor party emerged in the United States. Hmm. It's a good question. I don't have an answer. Then from 1933 to about 1968, we had something called the Fifth Party System, and that emerged with the New Deal. Remember the New Deal? Beginning in 1933, the Republicans began losing support after the Great Depression, giving rise to Democratic President Franklin D. Roosevelt and the activist New Deal. Democrats promoted American liberalism, anchored in a coalition of specific liberal groups, especially ethno-religious constituencies, Catholics, Jews, African-Americans, white Southerners, well-organized labor unions, urban machines, progressive intellectuals, and populist farm groups. The opposition Republicans were split between a conservative wing led by Ohio Senator Robert Taft and a more successful moderate wing exemplified by the politics of Northeastern leaders, such as Nelson Rockefeller, Jacob Javits, and Henry Cabot Lodge. The latter steadily lost influence inside the GOP after 1964, but since the 1930s, the Democrats positioned themselves more towards liberalism while conservatives increasingly dominated the GOP. So you've got the conservatives, you've got the liberals. That's pretty much the way it is today. The Sixth Party System from 1980 till today, 2020. Uh, New voter coalitions emerged gradually during the latter half of the 20th century, starting with Nixon's racially-based Southern strategy, which he used successfully to attain the presidency in 1968. Conservatives and Republicans becoming dominant in the South 
rural areas, and the suburbs, while liberals and Democrats increasingly started to rely on a coalition of African Americans, Hispanics, and white urban progressives in the northeast and coastal areas. So the parties keep getting further and further apart in ideology. We're going to talk more about that next week, about the main differences between those two main parties. Now, there are also some minor parties. Uh, you know, although American politics has been dominated by the two-party system, I think we ought to give a mention here, a shout-out, if you will, uh, to some of those uh, third parties. Um one of those third parties that everybody hears about uh, is the Libertarian Party. Now, the Libertarian Party was founded in 1971, relatively new party. It's the largest continuing third party in the United States, claiming well over 500,000 registered voters. So a half million people are registered as Libertarians. As of 2019, they have about 176 minor elected officials, including one state legislator. Justin Amash, a Republican from Michigan, switched to the Libertarian Party in May 2020 to become the first Libertarian Party member of Congress. The 2012 Libertarian Party nominee for United States President was former New Mexico Governor Gary Johnson. He achieved ballot access in every state except Michigan. There he was only as a write-in candidate and Oklahoma. He received over a million votes in the election. 2016, Johnson ran again, receiving over 4 million votes, or 3.3% of the popular vote. The Libertarian Party's core mission is to reduce the size, influence, and expenditures in all government. They are definitely small government people. To this effect, the party supports minimally regulated markets. They believe in a free market society, a less powerful federal government, strong civil liberties. Uh, right down to the and here's where I kind of fall out with the, uh, with the uh, Libertarian Party. They want to be liberal on drug use. And, you know, if you want to use marijuana or cocaine, I guess it's okay. They also want open integration non-interventionism, and neutrality in diplomatic relations. Uh, kind of placators, if you will. They really need to take a stand on some things that uh, probably is a weakness of the Libertarian Party. But I definitely agree with their stance on small government. Small government. Then you have the Green Party. Not little green men from Martian. But they've been active since the 1980s, and the party first gained widespread attention during Ralph Nader's second presidential run in 2000. Currently, the primary national Green Party organization in the U.S. is the Green Party of the United States, which has eclipsed the earlier Greens and the Green Party USA. The Green Party in the United States has won elected office mostly at the local level. Most winners of public office in the United States are considered Greens, have won nonpartisan ballot elections uh, where party affiliations aren't really printed on the ballot. But in 2005, the party had 305,000 registered voters in the District of Columbia and 20 states that allowed party registration. 
During the 2006 elections, the party had ballot access in 31 states. In 2017, Ralph Chapman, a representative of the Maine House of Representatives, switched his association from unaffiliated to the Green Independent Party. They're generally left-wingers in their ideology on most issues. They emphasize environmentalism, non-hierarchical participation in democracy, social justice, respect for diversity, peace and love, brother, nonviolence. As of 2016, it's the fourth largest organized political party. And then we have something called the Constitution Party, which is pretty interesting. The Constitution Party is a small national conservative political party in the United States, and it was founded as the U.S. Taxpayers Party in 1992 by Howard Phillips. The party's official name was changed to the Constitution Party in 1999. However, some state affiliate parties are known under different names. The Constitution Party is strongly pro-life and supports gun rights and restrictions on immigration calls for protectionist trade policies. In 2010, former Congressman Tom Tancredo was the Constitution Party candidate for governor of Colorado, coming in second with 617,030 votes, 36.4% ahead of the Republican candidate who had 11%. The Constitution Party's 2012 presidential nominee was former Congressman Virgil Good of Virginia. Tennessee Attorney Darrell Castle was the 2016 Constitution Party nominee for president. And um, Scott Bradley of Utah was the nominee for vice president. So the Constitution Party, you know, they've got some pretty good ideas, and they're pretty conservative, probably a lot more conservative even than some Republicans. So that's your Constitution Party. Well, we're going to pull the plug on a tear for today. I wanted to give you a little bit of history on political parties and how they got to be what they are and where they, what they're doing today. But as you're well aware, Democrats and Republicans dominate most of um, the election news. And um, like I say, we've got a big election coming up in just a few days. Make sure you get out and vote. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I know who I'm voting for. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, but get out and vote. If you don't vote, you've got no one to blame but yourself. Well, next week, we're going to talk primarily about the differences in the Democrats and the Republicans, their ideologies. What's the difference? If I'm a Democrat or a Republican, what do I believe? You know, a lot of people are Baptists and don't know what they believe or why they believe it. They just know they're a Baptist. My mommy was a Baptist. My daddy was a Baptist. My great-great-granddaddy was a Baptist, and that makes me a Baptist. It's just like Democrats and Republicans. People say, well, my dad was a Democrat. My mom was a Democrat. My great-granddaddy was a Democrat, you know, or a Republican, either one. And you really don't know why you hold to those beliefs. Well, next week... We're going to let you know what your party believes and uh, why that it's important that you know what your party believes. Well, listen, it's been great to be with you this week, and I know the information the last couple of weeks has been kind of heavy. had not been a really feel-good thing, but I think it's just important 
that we learn about things like that. I mean, I've enjoyed a refresher course in history as I've gone through encyclopedias and internet to, you know, research these topics and and hopefully there was some information presented to you that uh, uh, you might be able to use and digest some way. Well, that's all the time we have, and uh, we'll see you again next week. Like I say, thanks for joining us today. See you again soon, but until then, have a great week, and may God bless each and every one of you. Goodbye.